0: Today I'm going to talk about what we were talking about last week, which was money. <laughs> there are many places we could go at this point, can't there? <laughs> but we won't. No, I've got a bit of, about mothers at the end of the sermon. So we're carrying on. We, were, we did a, a sermon last uh, week about money and we have discovered the fact that money can capture your attention. Money can capture your emotional world. Money can capture your energy as you're trying to get it. And if it becomes your treasure, your precious, the thing that you yearn for and you simply must have, then you're in trouble. Because money can enslave you by your desire for it. That's last week. This week we want to cut to the chase. We want to go to see what the New Testament writers, particularly Jesus and Paul, have to say about it. But we still have to go t- uh, through the Old Testament to get there. And we see that in the Old Testament, there's a con- to do with money is this concept of the tithe. It's a big thing. It was compulsory. It was for each person who considered themselves part of the covenant with God and it was not an optional thing. So the first thing we see in the Old Testament as we look through is this something called the Lord's tithe or the Levite's tithe. So what was this? This was what went to support the priests and the ministry in the tabernacle and the temple. And in Leviticus 27.30, if you want to look that up, you can do. We're not going to look at it here. But Leviticus 27.30 stipulates a tenth of everything from the land whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belong to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. 10% of all their produce and animals was also required. And if you didn't comply with that, you were considered to be disobeying the law and you were considered to be robbing God. Malachi 3.8, which most of us will know says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? And you ask, how do we rob you? And they say, in tithes and offerings, which they weren't bringing. So that's the Lord's tithe. And then there's a second tithe in the Old Testament called the festival tithe. And Deuteronomy 12, verse 10 and 11 talks about that. And it says there, you'll cross the Jordan and you'll settle in the land the Lord your God's giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you'll live in safety. And then, to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, you are to bring everything I command you. Bring your burnt offerings, bring your sacrifices, bring your tithes, that's your tents and your special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And that festival time was to be used for religious celebration. That was to bring family and friends together. So there's two tithes there. Up, we're up to 20% now. And then there's another tithe called the poor tithe in Deuteronomy 14:28. Uh, it says there at the end of every three years, bring all the tri- tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns. So that the Levites who don't have an allotment or they don't have an inheritance of their own and also the aliens, I suppose refugees, the fatherless and the widows who live in your town so they may come and they'll eat. They'll be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And it says every three years there's to be a 10% tithe for helping people in poverty. That's that poor tithe. So that breaks down to about 3.33 recurring every year. So so that means we're now up to, for the Israelites, 23% of their income annually tithed a tithe for the priesthood, a tithe for national religious feasts, and a tithe that helps the poor, all compulsory. And then it didn't end there. They had a a sort of mandatory type of profit sharing with the poor. In Leviticus 19 verse 9 and 10 it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. And don't go back over your vineyard a second time and pick up the grapes that fell. Leave them to the poor and the alien. I'm the Lord your God. Well, that's not a large amount. Probably adds up to one or two percent that was to be left there because you were to be generous with what was left in your field. And there are other requirements. For example, there was a third of a shekel temple charge to to pay for materials for temple worship. All in all, a faithful Israelite, add it up, it goes to 23 to 25 percent of their income per year, which was mandatory. And on top of that, voluntary, free will giving, grace giving, we would call it. That so includes first fruits giving and free will offerings. An Israelite who loved the Lord, in addition to his 23 to 25 percent, would give the first fruits of his crop to the Lord. It surveys fields. Look, where's the best part? Let's give harvest that, take the best part to the Lord and trust that God will multiply the harvest. That was faith giving. It was entirely vol- voluntary. And then they had special projects. Say the temple needs to be built. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring an offering. You are to receive the offering from each man whose heart prompts him to give. Wasn't, well, this one wasn't ordered. It wasn't a mandatory It comes from the heart and the the entire emphasis is free will, being joyous, over and above your 23 and 25 percent. And that was the ideal, even though they had the laws, the ideal still was grace giving, whether voluntary or mandatory. It was to come from the heart. It was meant to be offered to God with great rejoicing. In other words, being happy about giving some were giving 30% some 40% some it was huge that's the old covenant so that's the old one now we understand that the new covenant, the New Testament is a new and improved version of the old it's the next step along continues in the same vein still takes the character from the old but goes beyond the old And then we say, we look, tithing. Let's look in the New Testament. What does it say about tithing there? Nothing. Basically, there's no laws and regulations laid out there. And although Jesus talks a lot about money, there's a lot there, and he even talks about tithing at one point as a way of making another point about the weightier matters of the law being neglected, and he never says point blank, you should tithe. But he does show that the new covenant is far greater standard than the old. Take, for example, the standard on murder. You know, <coughs> this is Jesus' words. He said, Matthew five twenty one, He said, you've heard it that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now he takes the next step. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Just being angry with them. And he had a greater standard on adultery too. He said, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so from that logical point of view, going on to the next level, we could view tithing as a mere starting point for generosity and go beyond that in our giving. It's interesting to play with that idea, isn't it? To consider that possibility. So that's Jesus' words. Let's look at Paul's words now. So Paul, as we know, what was his job? His job, his commission was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. In other words, that's us. He's the main guy who's the apostle to us. So God made him very authoritative in what he, he says about us so what does he say remember his background he's, he's grown up in the Old Testament way with the tithes with the Israelite, the tithes being the way Israelite, the Israelites kept the priests and the Levites alive you know the way the whole system works somebody had to pay for it just like we have to pay for taxes so our government can do good stuff so on top of that there was the offerings and the donations. So that's the background of Paul. And what does he say? First thing he talks about is you know, people who live by the gospel should be supported. 1 Corinthians 9 Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share what is, com- what is offered on the altar? And in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Well, we know people have basically changed since Paul's day, have they? They still think the church is after their money. And Paul's solution was to have a spare occupation up his sleeve. Sometimes he was ministering amongst very money-centered people, and so he was a tent maker. He supplied his own needs because he didn't want them to think there was any cost to the Gospel message and there isn't. It's free. However, when people were not money centred he did accept money from his parishioners for living expenses. He accepted money from the Philippians, from the Macedonians. And what does he say there? He says Paul indicates that there should be a regular time of giving He talked about bringing money in on the first day of the week which was when the church met for worship. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 On the first day of every week each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income saving it up so that when I come no collections will have to be made. So he's not talking about just reaching into your pocket on Sunday morning to see what's left over from the week of spending, he's talking here about being organised about it, being intentional. He's talking about planning ahead. And in this instance, he was not talking about money for the day-to-day running of the church. He was talking about a special collection for needy people, for the poor believers in Jerusalem. He was talking about a special project on top of what they would normally be giving. And he was suggesting here that you have a slush fund set aside for special projects and you regularly put money into it. And then we get to what I think is the heart of the New Testament when it comes to giving. He talked about being generous. Being generous. And that's a big thing. Because generosity reveals your inner spirit. It reveals how grateful you are, your gratitude level. It reveals your understanding of where it all came from in the first place. It reveals your understanding of this is an opportunity to walk by faith. It reveals your understanding that God loves generosity. He loves seeing it in his children. And he blesses generosity when he sees it. You know, the research is in, whether you're a Christian or not, if you can manage to live on about 75% of your income and have some money to give away regularly to your favourite cause, you are happier than someone who's living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah? You've seen people living paycheck to paycheck. Are they happy? No. They've managed to control their money to be generous. And so, generosity is the big thing for the focus for the New Testament, even though it's commended all the way through the Bible. You can go right back to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, where it says, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. And then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. We can move along to. Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29 verse 14 But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? And this is the understanding. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. The psalmist, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Going in the New Testament to Acts. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. And then a wonderful promise in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So generosity is in, the law is out. I don't see that we can justify our tithes for Christians today from Scripture. We can't put out a law of how much because we're not under the law. We're under grace. And it's this grace we see in this crystallising verse. Each of you should give what you decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Friends, God doesn't need our tips. He doesn't need our leftovers at the end of the week. He's not interested in your spares, given out of a sense of obligation or duty. He doesn't want you giving because you feel guilty as that plate comes along. He doesn't want you thinking that you're giving him a bit of your money. He wants you understanding that it all came from him in the first place, and he wants you to be a good manager of what you've received and therefore able to participate in building God's kingdom through your giving. He wants you taking a clear-headed decision about how much is right to give for your situation. He wants you talking about that with with him listening for his leading and having generous eyes which are looking for opportunities to make a difference through your giving. And so with those things in mind let's Look at Paul's section on generosity in the second letter he wrote to the Philippians, to chapter 9, and we've already heard verse 6 of that. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. A little sidebar here. There's a time span between sowing and reaping, isn't there? We know that very much in our community. So sometimes it's hard to see the direct connection between what you give and what you get. There's some faith in between, isn't there? Because you don't have control over it. Once you've sown it, you don't know how it's going to turn out at the harvest. In verse 7 of that 2 Corinthians 9, we see how important your heart attitude is when you give because God knows how money can entangle your heart. He knows the struggle we have in order to break away from our fears about not having enough money, in order to give some away. And he knows the joy we get to when we are finally are not held back by worrying about money anymore. Friends, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that Paul goes on in Corinthians there to make a wonderful point, which is so often magnified and dwelt upon uh, by uh, prosperity teachers. Verse 8, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God have you heard these slogans God is no man's debtor put God to the test and see whether or not he will not bless you abundantly you can't out God yeah. preachers dream up catchy slogans like that <laughs> encouraging you to give heaps but Whatever the slogans, the simple truth is, God generously responds to our generosity. He likes it. And he blesses it according to his good and perfect will. So friends, we are under grace, not under law. There is no target amount to give. It's between you and God. Nevertheless, of course, you know your local church requires financial support. You know that special projects won't happen without support. And you know the wonderful way supporters become connected with the works they support. Paul Paul said it in this way in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 12, talking about the giving of these people. He said, this service that you perform, this giving is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God see the giving and thanks overflows after it because of the service by which you've proved yourself in the giving there's a proving of yourself because of that others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else and in their prayers for you their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you thanks be to God for his indescribable gift so if you keep that little section open there you can see that uh, when we give to extend God's kingdom firstly the needs of God's people are supplied you can see that giving leads to many expressions of thanks to God can see that you prove your generosity to be a thing to be a good thing and you can see that causes prayer to rise up from those who have received and you can see that giving enables the grace of God to be demonstrated in a surpassing manner all which adds up to God's indescribable gift of his son on the cross to pay for our sins that is manifested made real in the world through Generosity. My mother was very generous to her three boys and one daughter. We may have said at midnight many a time, What's to eat, Mum? That was alright. We were still playing cards at that point, and we didn't get up at six to milk the cows. We got up about twelve, so. But on Mother's Day it's entirely appropriate for us to recognise the generosity we have received from our mums or mother figures. Because I think this is one of the aspects of motherhood which is really wonderful and quite central. It's their generosity. And one of my favourite stories about this, I'm pretty sure many of you have heard it, but it's good to remind ourselves, is this, there's a young boy. He's getting angry, he's getting frustrated about doing the chores and he's finally had enough so he stomps off to a room, gets to work with a pen and paper and comes out half an hour later with a grubby handwritten note which he presents to Mum and says, Mum, here's my bill. Mum hesitantly took the paper and reads, for cleaning up my room this week, dollar. For going to the shops for you, 50 cents. For babysitting my brother while you went shopping, 25 cents. For taking out the garbage, a dollar. For getting a good report card, five bucks. For cleaning and raking up the yard, two bucks and the total you owe me mum is $14.75. Well mum looks at him standing there And the boy can see the mind going and memories are flashing through her mind. So she picks up the pen, turns over the paper he'd written and she writes down, For the nine months I nurtured you here while you were growing up inside me, no charge. For all the nights I've sat up with you, doctored, nursed and prayed for you, no charge. For all the trying times and all the tears that you've caused through the years, no charge. The toys, the food, the clothes, and even wiping your runny nose, no charge. When you add it up, the cost of my love to you is no charge. The boy finished reading what his mum had written there. There were big tears in his eyes. He looked straight at his mum and said, oh mum, I sure do love you. And then he took his bill and wrote in big letters, paid in full. generosity so here is the heart of giving as seen in the new covenant from 2 Corinthians remember this whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly whoever sows generously will also reap generously and the next verse each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver let us pray Lord, it's about love isn't it responding in love to the love you first showed us when we were away from you you still died for us when you were not when we were not giving you any thought, you still loved us. So in this moment, forgive us for not paying attention to you, forgive us for not paying attention to our mums. We we'll return that love now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.